Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you. Let's see if I can remember how to do this. It's been a few weeks since we've been on the air. NFL football bumping us out of our usual time slot. Which is okay because we use that as an extended holiday break. And the rest of the Spooky crew took a little bit longer of a holiday break because I'm here by myself tonight. No Stephanie Burke. She is actually... Uh, currently, right now, painting. And she's painting because she has uh, some exciting new business news, which, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get her to call in for a few moments a little bit later on and share with you uh, what's going on. But for those of you who are unfamiliar, you know that she has an office in the area. She has some exciting new news about that office. Uh, so maybe we'll hold off and let her... Uh, call in a little bit later on and make an announcement. I probably should have talked to her about that beforehand because right now she's doozy, uh, doozy, woozy from uh, all the paint fumes. So let's give her a little bit of time to get that out of her system before we ask. And uh, and Matt Moniz, last I checked, was the last person in America to go see Star Wars The Force Awakens. So that's where he is tonight. (laughs) So you are stuck with just me, but that's all right because I'm bringing on board with me the content director for Spooky South Coast, and my good friend, my brother from another set of parents, the one, the only, Chris Balzano. And Chris, good evening. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. There's a, a, little a Star Wars movie? You hadn't heard about this? No, no, unfortunately. That's all right. You, you still got time to see it. Oh, okay, good. Actually, no, wait. If Matt Moniz is just seeing it, you might be the last person in America. No, seriously, how many times have you seen it now? Uh, I'm going to have to admit that I've seen it three times already. Well, I, I've just seen it the once, but... Uh, you know, I still want to go see it again in 3D, and then you know there's certain people that want to go see it with me, so I'm sure I will see it a couple more times, but so far just once for me. But uh, it holds up on repeated viewings? It actually is better the, uh, the the second and third time, when you don't have that like anticipation of what's going to happen and kind of living it, and you, and you know what's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not sure. Can we throw out spoilers? I mean, it's no, like, no, I wouldn't throw out anything. Anyway, so that's yeah. got a really great story, but you know, unfortunately I have to wait for a... I have to wait for enough people to have seen it to throw it out there. You're going to have to wait like three months after it comes out on DVD before you can do it. <laughs> Although I was... Well, hopefully J.J. will get it out there before uh, Lucas ever did. It's uh, it's coming out in April. I know that. So uh, oh, the... the uh, I saw, though, on Google Play, I was uh, searching for some different apps, and I saw that they're already taking pre-orders for the digital download of it when it's released, and the first person to put a review up naturally spoils the entire movie. <laughs> That's the Internet age. Well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, my son had it spoiled for him, you know, all his oh, uh, 10-year-old fourth grade kids, and that didn't take away from his enjoyment of it at all. He still thought it was amazing, and, well, and I, you know, I had to lie to him as we were watching. I'm like, oh, no, you don't know what you think's going to happen, it's not going to happen, but he still absolutely loved it, so I think it holds up. Well, I do suggest, uh, and I was saying this this morning uh, on the air, that if you are a fan of Star Wars and you're on Twitter, you should follow Very Lonely Luke. And emo Kylo Ren. So, but if you do so, just be aware there will be spoilers coming from them. But they're both uh, very entertaining Twitter accounts, that's for sure. So, one of the reasons why uh, we haven't been on for the last couple of weeks is, is, well, mainly the main reason is because of NFL football. Right. And so there's been no Spooky South Coast Live, so we haven't done any podcasts. There's been no Spooky TV, which, by the way, if you're listening, you can watch what goes on in the studio on SpookySouthCoast.com during the show. You can also hear the show there as well, but 
I, I, I got to tell you, tonight's Spooky South Coast, uh, uh, tonight's Spooky TV on SpookySouthCoast.com, not that interesting. It's one camera. It's just me. I'm sitting here with my ridiculous beard and my Patriot shirt. So I apologize for not having multiple visuals, but I can only really run one thing at a time. But anyway, one of the reasons why I was well, – the main reason why I was for NFL football, but also because it was the holidays and a time to spend with your family and to reflect and to maybe, in the case of some people who are out running around doing paranormal investigation all the time, a chance to take a couple of weeks away from talking about all that stuff. But – We've been kicking around this idea, and we've done it in the past, of kind of doing a paranormal year in review. And I would say that as we closed out what was our official 10th year on the air, because we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary uh, coming up in January. So, you know, as we close out the 10th full year of the show, I realized something, and you can tell me because you've been doing this longer than we have, you know, longer than we've been on the air. Mm -hmm. I didn't see a lot of change over those 10 years in terms of figuring out exactly what's going on with all of this stuff that we call the paranormal. No, I, I would totally agree. I think that the, and we're still using the same terminology and the same uh, words to describe it, you know, and saying like, here's what we're going for and here's what we're looking for and here's what we want to get done. Never seems to quite get done, but the, I guess the, the, the journey in this case is worth it. Um, but, you know, it just goes to show, like, that's not necessarily the best way to go is to be going and looking for answers. You should be going and looking for, I guess, what, what, an answer for yourself. But we're not any closer to proving that the paranormal exists to people who don't believe it. Um, we're not any closer to coming up with answers for what happens after we die. It seems the more that we learn in this circumstance, the more things become confusing. Because, you know, in that time, and, and it's interesting because, you know, this now marks the 10th year anniversary of my first book. So Dark Woods is, is you know, celebrating its 10th year birthday. And those questions are still left unanswered. Um, and I feel it's the same way for, for all through the paranormal. Like, we've, we've gotten more titles and we've gotten more variations of things that are out there. We've kind of split hairs on, on what's a ghost and what's a poltergeist. And we've, we've been researching and refining that. But we haven't really gotten any more answers. I mean, we sit back at this time of year, you know, especially when we start trying to make our New Year's resolutions or look back at what resolutions we didn't follow. And we look back at this time of year and say, you know, maybe I didn't accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish during this year, but let me make that a priority in the next year. So, you know, we have the opportunity now staring at that 10th anniversary to say we can look back at 10 years gone past. And I don't know if... Like you said, you know, we're, we're not going to find the answers. Right. And I think, like, all I can think of is is the paranormal to me is Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> all right? Because every time we think we know the answers, it goes and changes the questions. And I right. think that that's what we're looking for here is we're not looking for answers. We're just looking for more intelligent questions. Right, right. And, and people to step forward and stimulate us. Um, and people to step forward and kind of come up with those questions and offer possible discussion points. Um, you know, I mean, we've spent 10 years gathering evidence. We've spent 10 years um, researching. You know, maybe the next 10 years is like actually starting to look at that, not for what's going on with an individual case or what's going on, but like what are these trends that we're seeing. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all, much more about the story than I am about the science, but, you know, maybe we can, maybe our New Year's resolution is to start looking for people who can um, make sense of the science as opposed to just gathering the information. Well, and that kind of leads us into one of the topics we can talk about. And over the course of the next two hours, we're going to talk about some of the big stories in the world of the paranormal in 2015. We're probably going to miss some of them. So, of course, we welcome you to call in at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 to call in toll-free. And those numbers are right up on SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to you know, go back and find them during the show. But... And we want you to call in and discuss and debate some of these with us and also let us know if there's some we're missing. But I think one of the biggest stories of the year in 2015, and more so not for what it was or what it will be or what it does, but just for the fact that it it dragged out over the course of the year, would be the Ghost Ark device. And you're talking about needing to have all of this information compiled. And in the past, we've seen... Organizations like the Worldwide Paranormal Reporting Center, uh, and I know there's a new uh, group, a new uh, database being put together by our friends Mark Arvola and, and Lauren Sheridan. They're working on one with some people. There's been attempts in the past to kind of build these catch-all databases for people to put their information from investigations, but the Ghost Ark is making it as easy, or it's supposed to be making it as easy as possible by automatically uploading your data from a location to a centralized place in the cloud for other people to be able to compare that data. So basically it's taking it out of the hands of the investigator of remembering to actually do this and doing it right. for them if it all works out according to plan. But this thing was announced back in last spring, and it was supposed to be shipping, I think, by Easter time, or I remember having conversations with them by Easter time about getting my hands on a prototype in the next couple of weeks, and here it is, you know, we are now in 2016 and we haven't seen it yet. I mean, have there been any reports of people using it in the field? I mean, is it just it hasn't been released to the mass public? I mean, are, are we getting evidence from this? The, the only evidence that we've gotten so far is things that the creator, Massimo Rossi, has put out from his investigations with it. Now, mm-hmm. nobody actually has a physical ghost arc yet except for the team. However, I have seen the physical ghost arc. I have uh, had Skype meetings with them, and I have seen it right. put to use on Skype. And, you know, I was actually the first person to see it in use outside the team. And I can tell you that, at least in terms of what they were showing me, it was doing as promised. And it was doing as promised in a way in which uh, there was no interference from one function to the other. And, in fact, that's what's actually held up production is the fact that they've had to add extra shielding more so than they thought originally because even something as, um, you know, not really trivial, but something that you would take for granted, the frequency at which the monitor operates at was distorting some of the sweeping of the, the ghost box function. So that had to have extra shielding done. So all these little things that they encountered after they started making the physical devices that they weren't expecting has been what's been holding things up. But there's also been some questionable, questionable business practices on their end. Uh, I know some of it probably is lost in translation and trying to go from a European-slash-Italian company to doing business in the U.S. But there's also some other things that haven't sat well with people, and I think that's going to hurt distribution going forward but for you as somebody who first started picking up a bunch of devices you know 10 15 20 years ago and going out into haunted locations what did you first think about when you heard about this ghost doc the idea of it being an all-in-one paranormal research tool i mean it's exciting um 
and its ability to um, monitor things was interesting. Like, I liked the idea of um, <clears throat> the information being saved, and so you weren't documenting it. Um, but, you know, for me, it was also like the idea of buying books online as opposed to going to a bookstore. Um, where when you go to a bookstore, you are going for something, but you pass something, and you open it, and you read it. Um, and I kind of felt that, to some degree, this all-in-one tool was taking away those moments in the field that were a little bit more spontaneous, that um, because you were fixated on one device for a while, you might pick up something that, or, or, or switch something that you were doing because of it. Um, and so that, you know, it might have been, having not used it out in the field, Things might have gotten a little bit clouded because you were getting everything and you were kind of um, not as focused on one thing and you weren't taking the readings yourself and you weren't kind of documenting it yourself because it was also kind of automated. It was kind of taking a little bit out of your hands. Right. I mean, the idea, I think, is good in practice because, you know, you are and, – and, and just to be clear, because I know a lot of folks don't understand how it operates because they haven't seen it in action yet, but there is the ability to – uh, you, you're only running one function at a time if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can turn certain functions off and isolate certain functions, but the problem is you don't know which function is going to be the one that's getting you the result. You know, right. you don't know which way to do it. And I think that you should never be in a position where if you are conducting a full-scale investigation, you are only using the ghost talk. And I know that they're promoting it as everything that you need, but when I go out on an investigation, I don't have one... You know, if I'm using a K2 meter, I don't have one. I have right. multiple laid down next to each other so I can see if it's happening on more than one. And nobody's going to have 15 ghost arcs laid across a, an investigation. So it's a good handheld all-in-one, but you're still going to need other things. And it certainly isn't going to replace the most important things on an investigation, which is your own observation skills and your own rational thought process. Right. Is there... Um... <clears throat> anyone who's, excuse me, who's spoken out or has kind of looked into the level of interference on any single, like in other words, can a, can a ghost have issues impacting this because there's so much there? I'm not afraid to question No, I know what you mean. Are you saying is it, is it too much for, yeah. for it to be able to be manipulated? And I think that a lot of the questions that people have have been more about how the different functions will interfere with each other. I don't think anybody's right. even really concerned yet about what will happen on the paranormal aspect of it. And in, in that regard, they have released all the circuitry for people to check out. And, you know, if you know anything about looking at the, the blueprints of a, of a circuit board and figuring all that out, maybe you can make sense of it. I can't. And I've given it to people who have uh, the ability to look at that and make sense of it. And they said, well, you know, it looks like for all intents and purposes, they're doing exactly what they're saying. They're shielding all these functions from each other. Uh, but in terms of whether or not that will allow the spirit to manipulate it, all I can tell you is that Massimo has used it. And, uh, you know, he lives in Italy, so he's gone to Prevelia Island and used it. And he has had very good, very strong results from it in all the different functions. Right. So I think it's a matter of it's it's no harder, I'd say, for them to manipulate it than any other device. But, again... You know, I, I haven't actually seen the physical device being used. I've only seen it being used uh, as demonstrated for me on Skype. Right. You know, because we've had people who have put forth uh, ideas like that, for example, that you might get better results from an analog because it's, it might be closer to uh, the understanding of the spirit that's actually trying to influence it. 
and things like that. So I wonder what <laughs> someone who's trying to communicate as opposed to getting caught communicate, like what the results would be, like what they, whether they would be able to make sense of what's going on there. I guess I'm primarily talking about their ability to, um, to you know, uh, create EVPs and things like that as opposed to just kind of being monitored. Right. And, I mean, it does have – it has all the functionality to do that. Uh, you can record EVPs on it. You can do ghost box sweeps on it. Uh, it has a K2 type function, a straight up EMF, straight up temperature. It has all of that stuff in it. You got to hope that, uh, you know, it, it, I've got to think that if spirits have some sort of intelligence and we walk into these places all the time and it, it, it's starting to crack me up a little bit because you see it on TV and you see it with groups. If you see somebody going into a location that has been investigated four, five, six hundred times, okay? If you see people going into Waverly Hills and explaining to the ghosts, come toward this little green light. If you see this little green light, you can do this. I've got to think that at some point, if it is the same ghost in a location all the time, and we, we can debate whether or not that's the case, but if that's the case, sooner or later they know how this stuff works. Right. And so if that's the case, you know, maybe this will be something new for them to see and utilize as well. So maybe they're getting tired on their end of things of, you know, making the lights go up and down on the K2 meter. Maybe they want to try and do some other way of communication, and this could be that for them. And I think going back to kind of what we originally talked about, this kind of sparked, I remember, um, you know, a long time ago, um, talking with, uh, with Karen, whose last name I don't know is escaping me right now. And, um, she was working with EVPs with her son from the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, please help me out with the name, Tim. Uh, yep, I'm blanking too. Uh, hold on. Karen Mossy. Karen Mossy. Yes, Karen Mossy. And she had talked about, you know, and I think, People who have listened to the show have heard Karen Massey on the show, and they've kind of followed her career as, as we've talked about it and, and various times, um, that her son was helping her to develop something from the other side as well, and that he was helping to create something that we could create on this side that would be even better. Once again, 10 years have passed, and we haven't gotten that yet. Right. And So, and I mean, that's, that's kind of like, you know, it, it would be very interesting to see if, if, if we could get uh, maybe Frank on the other side to... Uh, to tell us what might be best to communicate over here with I, them. I don't think he's interested. He, he wants us to stop bothering all the dead people. Uh, I'm with you. I'm it's with only you. for talking to the to the aliens, the purple aliens. So, but here's right. here's the thing about about all of this though is you know especially ITC research goes back well beyond the last 10, 15 years. It goes all the way back to the 60s and the 70s. Really, if you want to get into some of the more technologically advanced versions of it, and they haven't really changed how they communicate at all. And I just wonder if, you know, no matter what device we put into it, it it's good if it helps us. It's good if it gives us one battery to have to remember to recharge, for example, or one mm -hmm. one piece of equipment to remember to, to grab when we're going out the door. But I, I don't know if any piece of technology is going to make it easier for them. You know, there isn't going to suddenly be a creation of a device that is going to lead to perfect two-way communication with the other side. Right. And and that right. leads... Over the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of those kind of come and go, and then they've been used successfully, and then they've kind of been put aside or kind of put into the to the toolbox, and they, you know, so we've seen a lot of fads, so it did, it's, hopefully if this can get out, we can at least see what it does, we can see how it works, 
um, and we can kind of either add it or have it just kind of be kind of a secondary thing. Supposedly, the uh, pre-sales, uh, people who have purchased them in advance uh, when they when they had the first pre-sale for people to actually put down the, the money for the device, uh, supposedly those are going to start shipping by January 20th and that people should have them by January 30th. I tweeted them the other day trying to get an update, and I was told that I would have mine before the pre-order ship. So that's two weeks from now that they're going to start to ship. So read into that what you will. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, I guess that would mean that, you know, by the time we have our 10th anniversary show in a couple of weeks, I should be holding a ghost arc in my hand. We'll see what happens. Be a great anniversary gift, that's for sure. It would be. But, uh, <laughs> what Legend Trips events do you have going on this spring that you might be able to use that in, Tim? Uh, actually, nothing planned right now. We're actually having some issues with LegendTrips.com. We're working on getting that fixed. And then we should be announcing Lizzie Borden Dead of Winter soon. And then we'll start looking into the spring. The problem with this year is, is Jeff's in higher demand than he's ever been. Yeah. So that means that it makes it harder for us to lock down dates that work with some of these places because they've got their own stuff going on as well. But And also, believe it or not, people actually want me to go to things now. So that makes it a little bit uh, crazier too. But getting out of the hardware aspect of it now, you know, the Ghost Arc being you know the new shiny piece of hardware that everybody's looking for, there's also been a movement, there was a movement in 2015, and it started a couple of years ago, but it's really starting to hit its stride now with a lot of researchers getting away from the physical devices and going more toward the software aspect of it and, and going into apps. And we've seen some pretty decent apps come down the pike over the last year or two, especially in 2015. The early part of this was about just doing the research, getting these apps out there and seeing if people could use them. Then there was a brief period of time when it became somewhat, I don't want to say lucrative, but at least when it became that you could charge a little bit of money and and get back some of what you're putting into the research. But there was a big flood of apps toward the end of 2015 that were coming out that were all free. And it kind of became more about just... It was twofold because in one way it's about proving that these apps work to those who are skeptical about whether or not you can communicate with the other side via your cell phone or your tablet. And then the other reason was because there was somebody in the field that was making all these claims about their hardware that the app developers kind of wanted to circumvent and say, listen, you don't have to buy into this guy's garbage. You can just download my free app and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've always been somebody that's been open to different forms of technology, uh, and, and I don't think you have ever been anti-app that I know of. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, again, it's, um, you know, <laughs> excuse me, it's so funny coming from a world where um, we were using things for purposes that they were not designed. You know, we were kind of messing with the design of things and kind of um, going off of folklore, if you will, or like secondhand knowledge or kind of, you know, some kind of weird cause and effects ruined relationship kind of come up with ways to document stuff or ways to try to communicate uh to have stuff that's become so specialized is exciting um and it's not some of it's uh, beyond me and some of it i i, I can't see how it would be useful in the field or, or why it's more useful in the field but there's a lot out there i mean i know that you are kind of on um you know whenever we talk you've always got kind of something that you're like oh we can try this next time we're doing something so i mean what are the ones that you kind of fall back on 2015 well i mean i always use the uh, you know if i'm going out and i'm doing an investigation i always use the echo box and i've tried to do what i can to uh help people realize that it is it has gotten a lot of great responses 
And I, I know that there have been a couple of the TV shows that have, you know, the produ- and people have to understand it's not the researcher's call what they use on a TV show. It's the producer's call because right. it's what looks good on television. And, and TV has been kind of anti-app because they feel like they just don't pop on screen. And if you're showing somebody Samsung tablet on a ghost hunting show running one of these apps, you're essentially giving a free commercial for Samsung, who's not buying advertisement during your show. So, the, right. you know, the networks are also very uh, aware of that. So I think that that's been, they've been hesitant to use it, but they're starting to see the results of it, and they can't deny the results of it. So now you're going to start to see, I think, some more app usage on the television shows. But I've always used Echo Vox, but there's a few other ones that I use. I keep, um, I keep more on my phone I, than I do on my tablet. Because yeah. my tablet is something that I'll pass around at a Legend Trips event and let other people utilize it. But my phone is always with me, and I'm obviously not going to hand over my personal phone to somebody else to use. So I'm, you know, I, I try to keep ones on there that I can try out. And I'm always, you know, swapping one out and trying something different, utilizing another one and, and not using another one. But what I've noticed is that all these developers who are coming up with apps, even if they have ones that they're charging for, they're also putting out some free ones as well to try and entice people to at least give them a try. And you don't have to be a paranormal investigator to give them a try. Some of them are designed for anybody to just open up and try them out and see what they think. And then some of them, like the Echo Vox, are really just for serious researchers. Right. Would, would you... Right. I mean, it's, I was, I was there's say, would, specialization going on, which is, which is exciting because you know, there are some people who really like to go into investigation and focus on something. Mm-hmm. And so if you can actually get two or three different ways of capturing the same information, you can kind of compare them. So that part of it is exciting to me. Would you ever, uh, if somebody came at you with a bunch of evidence that they had from an investigation that was only gathered through these apps, I mean, would you be willing to take that at face value or would you second guess it because it came from a cell phone? Wow. Um, if the only information was stuff that came from a cell phone, um, I would have a hard time taking it seriously. Um, but it's one of those things where as soon as there was some kind of other evidence to back it up, um, it would be very compelling. See, there was a time when, you know, five years ago, I might have been anti-cell phone evidence overall. Uh, if somebody was like, listen to this weird recording I caught on my cell phone or check out this picture I got on my camera phone. But now the camera that's in my phone is way better than the camera that I bring with me on investigations. The, the cameras that I have with me for investigations, the only reason I even still use those is because they've been modified for full spectrum. And if it right. wasn't for that aspect of it, I'd, I'd probably throw them away because what's the point of carrying around a, a 10-megapixel camera when I have a 16-megapixel camera in my phone? So, I, And I see same thing with the shielding. We're starting to see as... You know, I work in the broadcast industry here, and I can tell you that people in radio are using their iPhones now instead of carrying around recording boxes to go out and conduct field interviews. They're using their iPhones. Right. Because the shielding is there and because the sound quality is there. And I use my Samsung phone to do all of my, you know, sports locker room interviews. So I have no problem utilizing it on an investigation as well. I think we're starting to see the power of those devices uh, becoming so great that we can now start to actually rely on evidence that's captured with them. You know, and it brings up the serious issue of uh, if someone comes to you and you know that person is a forthright person and they're presenting you with something, um, when you're evaluating that evidence, uh, if, you, if you take that evidence off that phone, um, it's going to carry the properties of that phone, which means if you manipulate it in that phone, it's not going to be able to show any kind of um, 
any kind of manipulation that's been done when you actually try to analyze the picture itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if the apps work the same way. So in other words, if you can manipulate audio uh, on some of the audio apps um, so that it's in, you know, part of when we're trying to, you know, I'm not going to use the word, um, but when I'm getting, when I get evidence and I'm looking at it, I want to know how authentic it is and I want to know how genuine it is before I even start to consider what we might be looking at. Um, the first thing I do is run tests on its properties. You know, where did this come from? Has it been tampered with? Can it be, um, can the picture itself be authenticated? And I think that becomes really difficult with the apps because when you're pulling that off the phone into a secondary source for analysis, I'm not sure how that information is coming out, whether it comes out as, as being from the phone or whether, whether you get any kind of information about apps that have been uh, um, added to it or run through it or filters that have been taken with it. And therefore, it's still really hard for me to take any of that evidence kind of just on its face value. I mean, we can open up, uh, you know, the properties for a photo on the computer and get some of the EXIF data, but, you know, there are some people who can really dig into it forensically and get way further than we can and just what the, right. what the picture is reporting to us. But uh, that leads to another natural segue, and it's almost like we planned all this stuff, but it's, this is all happening naturally. Uh, there's, that leads to a segue then about one of the more interesting stories of 2015, and that would be our friend Anna Hill, who started this project of trying to identify the people whose images have been manipulated into becoming these ghost app ghosts. So right. when when you open up one, of, when you download one of these stupid ghost app programs uh, that supposedly puts a ghost in your photo. And you just basically take a picture with your phone, and then you pick which ghost you want to add into it. And then, you you know, there's people out there that are trying to pass this off as actual, you know, evidence of the paranormal. So when that happens, you know, she's trying to go back to where these apps are getting these pictures from and identify who these people are. Because they're not just creating uh, through, you know, computer graphics or anything a ghost from scratch. They're taking old photographs and they're scratching up people's faces and putting all these weird manipulations to it to make them look scarier. And she's been trying to put a name to those faces and try to get those photos removed because it's twofold. One, it's respectful to those who are no longer with us who have been used in these photos, who these people, you know, the photos might be out there in the public domain so they feel like they can manipulate these images, which legally they can, but morally it's a bad idea. And also it helps to hopefully get a lot of these ghost apps out of the paranormal field because we're getting a lot of unnecessary drama and fighting over, well, that photograph's got to be real because I trust the person that it came from. Yeah, except look, here, this is obviously, you know, the brown lady of Raynham Hall that's been right, in the right. most famous ghost photo of all time. Somebody just put it into this picture. Yeah, I mean, I remember that I had a very um, <laughs> you know, well-established family who uh, I was teaching both of their children. Both of them were in our most advanced classes. And she wanted to talk to me about um, her spirituality. She was from the Philippines, and she had some very interesting Filipino paranormal things and paranormal myths and stuff she wanted to talk about in connection. And, you know, we talked for a little bit, and that night she sent me a photo and was like, hey, tell me what you think is going on here. And I immediately put it out there, and people were like, oh, that's from this ghost after That woman lost all credibility to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point that I didn't even really want to be in parent-teacher conferences with her because I was like, I can't trust anything you think. Like, you tried to pull one over on me and knew it. Um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's um, I think those apps are fun, 
but not fun in the hands of investigators. And therefore, kind of like them being out there um, is a temptation for some people. But I'm not sure how many, especially now, that those images are kind of as well known as, as the images, you know, of the of the famous paranormal things that they're sometimes stolen from. I don't know how many people are actually trying to use those to to pull the wool over real investigators' eyes. Right. Well, why don't we take a break right here? We come back on the other side. We can talk more about this and some more of some of the top stories of 2015 in the world of the paranormal. You can call in as well, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Back with more Spooky South Coast in a moment here on WBSM, New Bedford's News Talk Station. Tim Weisberg with you, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. If you would like to call in and join the Spooky South Coast program, and my guest slash co-host tonight is the one, the only Chris Balzano. He is joining us as we are discussing some of the top paranormal stories of 2015 and also taking your calls. Chris, we have a call on the line if you want to take that. I would love to. Well, I'll take it because you're, you know... Not in the studio, so I'll right, do, I'll, do I'll do the work. All right, you do all the thinking. <laughs> all right. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Good evening. Um, my daughter had two experiences. She saw her, her her father. She was living in Fall River, and she was sitting on a couch reading. And she looked up, and across is her dining room, and she saw him sitting at the table, but she could only see his waist up. And she says, Ma, he had such a white, white shirt, and he had his elbow on the table. He kept rubbing his forehead. And when he used to do that, there was something bothering him. And it was two weeks later, her husband was in a very bad work accident. Mm, And then later, she moved to Swansea. She bought a home, and she finally had a baby. Being married 15 years, she finally had a baby. And she was on the couch. She wasn't sleeping. She was just laying down resting, and she looked up. And she saw him again from the waist up, but on the side profile. And he was looking in the bassinet, and he had this big smile on his face, and he like kind of like just like evaporated. So I said, I wish I could see that. She had, you know, two chances. So. Well, I mean, maybe though, if you keep thinking about it and keep wishing for it, it could happen for you. Yeah, it'd be nice. I, I'd like to experience that. Okay, just want to tell you that. All right, well, thank you very much have for the call. Have a good evening. You as well. And com- coming up in the next hour, we might have some news about a place where you can go locally to talk with somebody who might have the ability to put you in touch with loved ones who have passed on. So we will find out more about that coming up in the next hour. Uh, but, Chris, we were talking about the uh, some of the technology that came out in 2015 and some of the the research that's been done uh, over the past year and and trying to move the conversation forward. And there's a lot more that we can discuss, of course, uh, in the next hour as well. We we do want people to call in and share their own thoughts at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. But you can never get too far away, as serious as people might get about the, the tech and as serious as they might get about the research itself, you can never get too far away from the fact that so much of the paranormal is tied into the world of urban legend. And we saw that happen this year big time over the course of just maybe a couple of weeks. It, it, as most urban legends do, it came on strong. 
and then it fizzled out a little bit. Uh, sure to make a comeback at some point down the line, but that would be the whole Charlie Charlie phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, and and it's it was really interesting for me to see it not on news feeds, but um, on local news, which I didn't see, and then all of a sudden it exploded in my school. Um, and I felt like the uh, I felt like the dumb one, the outsider, because I was like, "Well, what are you guys doing? What are you like? Oh, didn't you watch the news last night?" And I'm like, uh, "No, what are you guys doing?" And it was really something that hit heavy um, across the country once they started looking into it with the um, middle school and high school population uh, to the point that we actually had to start making rules and announcements saying that this was something that they weren't allowed to be doing in class. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things that. Uh... I saw as kind of the byproduct of it is that people who, young people who might not have had any interest in the paranormal suddenly became interested in it because they heard about this as a possible means of communication with something. And then we, you know, as we talk about it, we tell them, well, no, that's not real. But there are other ways that you can communicate with other entities. And, and that's kind of opened their eyes to that possibility. So in a way, it did help a bit. But uh, every time there's something like this that freaks everyone out, I think it also helps, uh, you know, forward the notion that it's a little bit crazy to do what we do. Right. Because, you know, it, it, on one hand, um, they were doing it as a, as a distraction in class. So many kids were doing it in class that it was becoming distracting to the teachers. But the other part of it was, you know, there was backlash from parents as in, this is something that I don't want my kids learning about in school. And it's like, well, we weren't, as teachers, we weren't telling them about it. We weren't teaching them about it. They were hearing from from their friends. That's like saying that someone is learning um, sex ed in school because they hear something on the school bus. You know, it wasn't a, a circumstance where I was engaging the kids on how this is an effective means of communication. Um, and, you know, in my position, I never would have then said, but let me tell you about this, even though, you know, I, I did because that's just my nature. Um but, it, you know, it, 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 they then started researching other things having to do with it. And then, of course, um, almost immediately, evil um, stories started appearing on places like Creepypasta and, and other places that were connected to the Charlie Charlie. And so all of a sudden, it took on its own kind of meaning. It went from this, like, here's something interesting that kids are doing uh, in school to, and they're dying because of it. And, you know, evil things are happening because of it. And also, one of the things that I thought was uh, very interesting about it was we've seen other uh, Internet-generated urban legends before, like Slenderman, and we'll get into that coming up in the next hour, too. Uh, but, you know, you've seen these come about in the age of the Internet, but this was one of the first true social media urban legends where it's being shared through through viral videos, through YouTube, through Vine, uh, through all these different types of social media that it seemed like if you were a young person, no matter what, uh, you know, social media you used, you couldn't escape it. Yeah, and it was, there were as many posts as there were, there were call-outs on Instagram to, like, now film yours and show us what happened. Um, to the point that, like, it started generating its own kind of pages and it was trending just on people you know, watching one video, doing it, them being called upon to uh, do it themselves, and then kind of, um, you know, putting their stuff out there. Um, I mean, Instagram especially was completely covered in these videos of these kids doing it. And then it, it became, um, one of the things that I was seeing was it became uh, mixed with other urban legends. So, you know, you, you take, 
a situation like Mary Mary and you do both of them and you're supposed to post it and that's like a challenge. Um, and that's the insane thing about it because it, 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 I don't think we've seen beer communication um, connect to the true idea of legend tripping as much as we did with the Charlie Charlie stuff this year. Yeah, it does seem like uh, there's a... A uh, fine line that was always drawn with legend tripping of you want to go to a place where the ghost is, but you don't always want to have to interact with the ghost. And I think we're seeing people get a little bit braver with that. You know, just the common folks. I can tell you that, you know, we had the opportunity this year. Uh, in, in, uh, I don't want to do too many self-serving stories here, but we can do a couple. And yeah. one, one of the things that happened this year was we kind of brought legend trips uh, to a different audience with the events that we did here at Fort Tabor in New Bedford, we partnered up with the FM station here, Fun 107, and we put on these ghost hunts at Fort Tabor, and we opened it up to the public. And these are people who are not looking to do paranormal research. These are people who just wanted to go out and get scared. And it took a while for some of these people to kind of come out of that shell of just wanting to be in the room when something happens and actually be the person that it happens to. And some of people, it never happened for them at all. They, they, they never came out of that shell. They wanted to just stand on the sidelines and watch. But some of them, you know, you could actually see it develop over the course of a couple of hours where they said, I thought I was just, and one person actually did complain. Which, I don't know if I ever told you this, Chris, but somebody actually no. posted on Facebook as a review afterwards that they couldn't believe that they paid $100 for their ticket and we made them do their own ghost hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, not understanding what's going on, like not understanding, like, what, what the event is supposed to be, you know? Right. I, I, um, I think that was a matter of they didn't really read over the description, the event description too well. Right. Well, I mean, I know, uh, I know this much. Uh, like, I wouldn't mind when I go to an event uh, having somebody else doing the ghost hunting for me. But I'm generally, I'm the one putting on the event, so I have to do it. You know, somebody has right. to stand up there and give it a try. You know, it, it's funny because when I went to, um, you know, I took a tour at Key West, and we went to go see uh, Robert the Doll, um, which eventually like made its way into the book, and I. <laughs> People were kind of doing all this stuff, and, you know, I looked to, you know, to Jill, and I was like, should, should I do it? And she went, okay. She's like, okay, everyone, sh- sh- come here. Here's how we use this equipment. And the people who were running the tour were kind of like okay with it. And, you know, we were running an actual investigation of Robert the Doll as opposed to just a whole bunch of people running around. And I think that those people um, enjoyed that specific tour that night more because not only were they learning kind of the – um, the backstory of of the object and the backstory of the haunting, but they were also learning like here's a potential way that this stuff works. Mm-hmm. Like here's the idea that we go forward with when we're doing it, and that kind of education became as interesting to them. I like to think as uh, as you know, just kind of like the story of Robert himself. But it also was like, oh, here's how you find ghosts. Here's why that works. Here's why I shouldn't be snapping pictures into a glass case. Um, and it became kind of a fun night because of that. Well, and uh, there were a lot of fun nights to be had in 2015 when it came to researching the paranormal, and there'll be a lot more coming up this year as well. But we're going to continue our look back at the year that was in the strange and unusual, and we want to have you call in as well at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 to talk about some of the stories that you feel are some big ones. And some of the things we'll talk about coming up in the next hour, we'll talk about some of the cast changes in paranormal television, 
Uh, we can talk about some of the, you know, a little bit more self-serving stuff. There was some big stuff on the spooky South Coast Legend Trips front, including getting the guy that's on the other end of this conversation back into the fold. So we'll talk about that stuff as well. And we've seen the paranormal world extend beyond just ghosts this year as well, especially when it came to television. We saw uh, some new aspects of paranormal research brought to the forefront, sometimes with interesting results and sometimes uh, didn't quite live up to the hype. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about all that coming up in the next hour. And if you have not, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that we're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary. If you have not gone back and listened over the course of the last decade, at least for the next couple of weeks, go back and download any episode that says Chris Balzano in the guest description, and you will want to listen and check out some of the shows that he's been a part of, because it seems like you've always been part of some of the legendary conversations that we've had over the years with your uh, Balzano breakdowns and just some of the, the way that we've gone deeper and deeper with the stories. So, you know, we appreciate you being back in the fold, and we are looking forward to what will be a very exciting 2016 here. I am, too. I'm too. I was actually listening to the, um, our story about the Dickens ghost today. Oh, that's, yeah, that was a very good one. And I was like, wow, like this actually holds up. But I think that was 2010, Christmas of 2010. Yeah, and I'm see, like, wow, this actually really, really still holds up even you know, five years from now. Imagine if we were to revisit that with some of the knowledge that we've gained over the past five years. It was the gift that kept on giving, so maybe we'll have to do that. Uh, <laughs> if, we, you know, if the NFL stops kicking us off the air around Christmas time. Right, at some point. But uh, that does it for this hour. We're going to take a break for the news. We'll come back on the other side with more Spooky South Coast. Again, call in 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also tweet us using the hashtag SpookyLive if you'd like to get involved in the conversation that way. We'll be back in just a bit with more Spooky South Coast here on News Talk 1420 WBS. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg, with you. And uh, joining me tonight, my guest on the line is Chris Balzano. He's the content director for Spooky South Coast. So he's not really a guest. You know, he's he's part of the Spooky crew, but he's the one who's counting down with me. Well, actually not counting down because putting them in order and ranking them would have been too much work. Uh, but we were discussing some of the top paranormal stories of 2015 and joining us on the other line, we have somebody who, at the very tail end of 2015, decided to make a pretty big leap. And uh, so we bring her on. Of course, she is our regular co-host, Stephanie Burke, who is off tonight because she's doing some, some work. You're doing some work out there tonight, Stephanie, right? And not, not the yeah. usual work we talk about here on Spooky South Coast. Right. I, um, I decided to get crazy and open up my own business officially, finally. And believe it or not, for those of you who know us well, it's not an ice cream stand. I know. Very surprising, but I feel like I probably would have eaten myself out of business right, we, if I had done that. I would have been over there every day just eating all your profits. I figured you would. So um, I did not do anything with food, thank God. Well, let everybody know exactly what uh, what you have uh, in store and, and, and opening very soon, by the way. Yes, very soon. Um, sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Otherwise, I would have talked already. Um, 
I decided to finally um, go out on my own, venture out on my own, and open up Work at Bark Wellness. So a lot of people already know um, from social media and, I mean, everywhere on the Internet pretty much, Work at Bark is my business. Um, but I decided to expand it a little bit from health and wellness products to an entire wellness center. So um, my current office space, I'm kind of just moving across the hall, expanding across the hall, I should say, um, and then into uh, the other room as well. So I pretty much have the whole building to myself, which is awesome. Um, I've been working every single day from the minute I wake up until I go to bed at night. Um, I, I basically just get in the car and drive home and go straight to my bed. Um, painting, scraping paint, completely renovating the entire building to make it look really, really nice, um, which, I mean, it looked a little run down before, so I'm really happy with a lot of the changes. If anybody wants to see all the changes, they can follow me on Facebook, Work at Bark Wellness, um, and I'll be offering all kinds of different classes, workshops, shows, events, um, all different types of things. So, I mean, currently, right now, we have Candace Dalton, Spirit Medium, who we've had on the show before and a very close friend of mine. She's coming to do a gallery reading of only 30 people at the end of January, but we're actually sold out. So we're talking about doing another date in March, so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, I have Reiki classes coming up. My husband also teaches his uh, NRA basic pistol course out of my wellness center as well. So if anybody that's looking to get their license to carry in the state of Massachusetts, that's the required course for it. So we offer that, too. Um, I offer pretty much everything that you can possibly imagine. So, And I love to um, add more to it as well as I go along. We have a ton of fitness classes, so and I'm really looking forward to it. you got fitness classes coming as soon as this Tuesday, right? So you got to have yes, everything ready by Tuesday. I do have to have everything ready by Tuesday, and I'm really sweating it out right now because I've been working so hard. So we're going to see what happens, but I... Um, I have to tell you that I am full of glitter from head to toe right now from uh, designing the back room floor. With fitness, it's going to be a really uh, weird area. situation when you come home covered in glitter and your husband's like, where have you been? The worst part is, is my husband is covered in glitter from head to toe as well. So. well hopefully he was there with you the whole time. I'm glitter from head to toe, too. <laughs> and I haven't been anywhere near there, so I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I, uh, I don't know about you. <laughs> I'll say I'll say this though for for those of you who are looking for some uh, you know different ways of getting in shape too it, it seems like you know you're you're not just throwing out there and saying hey we're going to do the same thing that everybody else does you're finding new and different ways for people to come in and get healthier whether it be uh, physical wellness or spiritual wellness or what have you it's a whole different type of uh, approach and also it could be a program for you if you went and took everything you would become a much more well-rounded person. Yep, definitely. I, I like to be different, as you guys already know, but um, I like to cater to the regular average person. I hate, you know, going to the gym and feeling really intimidated and feeling like, you know, everybody else is so in shape and jacked up and, you know, you're the person that's just starting out and you feel awkward. And I feel like that makes people quit a lot of the time before they even give it a try. So um, I hired instructors that are real people that have been doing this forever that, you know, don't look like your typical intimidating instructor they're they're real they're funny they're personable they love to get to know their students and i mean i myself i mean yes i might be thin but i'm not in shape at all and um i think that's a big thing for a lot of people is you know coming back from a c-section a year ago it's very difficult to get back into you know the swing of things especially since you know it's a major surgery and it's hard to do that and i deal with a lot of people that have you know issue here, issue there, and they have to modify things. And we have an age range anywhere from 18 to 66. 
and um, we cater to everybody. You know, I, I just love to be different and find different things that work for different people. And um, I like to just work with people in general and make them happier and healthier and just feel more at ease and more at peace. And I'm, I'm really working on all those categories separately, but they all work together at the same time. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, new faces, you know, familiar faces. It doesn't really matter as long as, you know, everybody's happy at the end of the day when they walk out of the door is fine with me. So work at Burke Wellness on Facebook, and I'm sure work at Burke.com is being redesigned to reflect uh, what you have coming up as well? Yep. They're, uh, it's been redesigned already. Um, so there's two different – it's a landing page, so there's a bunch of different links on there. Um, that will constantly be updated, so just keep checking back for that. And I mean, I have a long way to go for the, um, the renovations right now, but the main room is pretty much done. So next on my project for the next couple of days is the hallway and the offices. So it's going to have a totally different look for anybody that's ever been there before. It's really exciting. Well, I'm really know, looking forward to it. Tim, you'll have to come visit. I'll say, you know, I've never been there yet, so I'll, you know, it'll look great to me either way. So now before yeah. we let you go, uh, we are talking about some of the top stories of 2015. And as we were putting together this list, and, and you and I and Chris have been going back and forth with this over the last couple of days with what we think is some of the different stories. You know, you had mentioned that there's a lot of negative stories and that you don't really want to see us rehash all that negative stuff. But one of the biggest stories in the paranormal world in 2015 was a very negative story, a very sad story, and that would be the the murder-suicide of the Constantinos, uh, Mark and Debbie Constantino. We didn't really discuss it here on the show because it was, it, in my opinion, and I still feel the same way, it has nothing to do with the paranormal and their work in the paranormal. It has, has everything to do with the dynamic of their relationship, which is none of our business, and we don't understand it and we don't know it. Um, but that being said, now we are uh, months removed from it, and we can look at the impact that that has had on the paranormal. And I feel like... Even today, you can't talk, and I posted about it on Facebook. I asked people what they thought the top stories were. People came on saying, obviously, the Constantinos, and that led to a discussion there about somebody saying, listen, I think that you know people need to look into the fact that because of the work they did, it had an impact on this, and, and basically trying to say that it was possibly demonic forces that caused this situation. And I rail against that, but at the same time, I can also can't 100% rule it out either. But I just feel like it's too easy to utilize that as explaining away the behavior of people that had problems. Um, I might be um, everybody's, you know, enemy after saying this, but um, I feel like, A, we weren't there, so we don't know. Mm-hmm. B, um, for, you know, speaking from experience, somebody that has dealt with demonic experiences more times than I'd like to, you know, remember, Um they are extremely rare. They're extremely rare to come across. It does not mean that it doesn't happen. But, yes, it can happen, but it doesn't mean that that's what it was. Um, I think people want to believe that it was something paranormal or strange or demonic that caused this rather than looking at the real problem, which is domestic violence. Um, when you're in the public eye, I mean... You know, we are right now. I pretty much air my dirty laundry everywhere because that's just the type of person I am. Other people are not. You and I both know, and I'm sure the same people are coming to mind as I'm saying this, like to create this facade 
of who they are in the public eye and they're different people behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like that. Even people that we know that we're friends with, they right. have a certain personality that they show while they're out and behind closed doors, of course. I mean, do I go around, I tell people I fight with my husband? No, because there's no need to. I mean, everything's fine, but we all fight with who we're with no matter what. Um, obviously, their relationship was a little bit more volatile than they wanted anybody to know. And but, but people did still know. I mean, there were a lot of people that came out and said, hey, I, I saw them at their exactly. most vicious going after each other. Yep. And, I mean, the police reports that came out afterwards prove that this has been going on for years, maybe even before they entered the paranormal world. So... Um, I don't think it's something that they should turn a blind eye to and just write off as a demonic force. I think that people need to wake up a little bit and realize that domestic violence is a real thing and awareness needs to be brought to the fact that it does exist instead of just turning your your back to whatever's going on. And I feel very sorry for what happened, and it was a very unfortunate tragedy. And um, like you said, we hadn't discussed it before because it just wasn't appropriate at the time, but I feel like that should not be one of the top stories of the paranormal for the year. I think that people should really look at that in a different light and realize that, yes, it was two beloved people that people really looked up to or really enjoyed spending time with that met an unfortunate end. And who knows what caused it or why or how it happened, but um, they should definitely not continue to push that and remember it the way that it is and just remember the people that they, they knew and they loved and realize that there was probably a real problem there that nobody could help with because they hit it so well. I mean, Chris, you've been involved over the, the last 10 years with some of our shows where, you know, we've gone back and, and honored those who have passed on from the field and who have contributed, like, you know, people like uh, Hans Holzer when he passed away and, mm-hmm. and Ed Warren when he passed away. You know, we've, we've kind of followed through, uh, Bud Hopkins, through some of the careers of these gentlemen and ladies and, and seen what they've done and talked about their researches and their contribution. And unfortunately, the way that this story ended, it's going to all, always be part of what people talk about when they talk about Mark and Debbie Constantino and the research that they did. I almost wonder if it's going to be one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like it, it has to be part of the story, but at the same time, it's always going to be the thing that people kind of leave off when they talk about them as well. Um, I think the people who knew them were going to leave it off, um, but I think it's uh, first paragraph stuff um, for outsiders looking in. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's what they're going to be remembered as. And that's, un- that's unfortunate because I think there was a lot of interesting things that they brought to the field uh, the years that they were working. And, you know, and, and I would love to have the discussion on, you know, whether, um, and we, I mean, we have had the discussion on whether, you know, if you stare into the darkness, nothing stares back. Um, it's just hard to do that with people that you knew, that you worked with, or that were involved with your circle. And so, you know, it's a great discussion to have. It's just, I think, too close to have it with them in the middle of it, or them as the spark to that discussion. It was, and I, and I thought you guys did a great job of not, um, not engaging that because there were really two separate discussions. Yeah, I, and I feel like if you are going to uh, start bringing in people's personal lives into who they are as researchers, and, and that is part of the discussion of what we do because we are asking people will you let these strangers come into your house and basically root around through your private life and try to see if there's the existence of ghosts in your home. So I think that, you know, who you are as a person does kind of enter in the conversation, but I don't think that in this case 
you know, who you are and what went on behind the scenes should be something that people continue to inject into it. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like it's, whether it's a cause, whether it's an effect, no matter what it is, I, I just feel like you have to kind of not keep trying to solve that issue because there is not, there's not going to be an answer. So as much as people are clamoring for people to say, well, you need to go down that path and you need to follow and look into the possibility of maybe it was you know, their work that led to this, we're never going to know for sure. Right. So it's probably better to just leave it alone. And, and as we, But at the same time, and this gets into something else and another topic altogether, we seem to have this expectation that when somebody in the field passes away, that they are going to come back and educate us from the other side. And we don't have to talk specifically about Mark and Debbie, but this has happened in the past with when Frank Sumption passed away, when Ed Warren passed away. You know, and we're expecting that you know they're going to reach out and start giving us all the answers. And I think that that's also foolish because there's no guarantee that you know a they'd want to and b they could if they if they could. Right. What if they could? You know, and that I mean, that, obviously, it probably goes back even further than this, but I always think of Harry Houdini saying that. But that's what he was going to do. Um, and, you know, I mean, like we talked about at the top of the show, we don't know how the rules are. We've gone no further at establishing what the rules are. Um, and so how do we know that they can, that you can if you want to? I mean, I know people who have made promises to their loved ones in a very small, you know, much more smaller than I'll, I'll talk to the paranormal community kind of way. And, you know, that often becomes a, well, the person didn't communicate with me. Does that mean that they haven't passed on or that they're not at peace? And it's the, the mere fact that we just don't know enough about um, what communication is allowed, how communication can happen, to to expect that from people. You know, it would be nice if we can get it, and there are great stories. And I, I think the, the woman who called in, I thought that story was absolutely beautiful. Um, but... You know, we we can't count on that. We can't we can't rely emotionally on on those people to come back. And as we as investigators uh, or people who you know study the paranormal, it's almost unfair to put that on people like you know Ed Warren and 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 Hans Holzer that they would come back and try to communicate with us and give us the answers. Listen, if Sylvia Brown didn't try to come back and say, "See, I told you I was right all the time," <laughs> then there's nobody that's going to. But there is there's always going to be one person that I know that when he passes on. Even if he can, he won't come back and won't give us any messages. And that's the quote-unquote amazing James Randi. I cannot imagine he would ever come back and give us any kind of messages and then, you know, essentially debunk his entire life's worth of work. Uh, but we, I guess we have that feeling, though, of if you're involved with it, you you owe it to everybody to be able to do it. And that's uh, another dangerous uh, you know, another slippery slope to go down of of feeling like you owe the field something, or you know, you owe the people that are in it something for all their years of of work and research. When in actuality, I think that when we and, and Stephanie, you probably know this better than I do because you talk to people who have moved on. But I got to think that for a lot of folks transitioning into that next realm of existence, they're not really worried about the ghost hunters that are back here walking around in the dark. They've got other things on their plate now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot that goes on when we do pass on from what I've been told. But at the same time, what people don't realize, and this is probably going to open another can of worms, the people that pass on only care about coming back to the people that they love. They don't care about coming back to some random weirdo walking around in the dark with a meter in their hand. 
they care about, even if you're walking around their house, it doesn't matter. If they're passed on and they've crossed over, they're going to their family members that they left behind because that's first and foremost. That's what they're worrying about. That's what, you know, they're connected to. Um, they're not caring about someone that's, you know, randomly moving about, you know, wherever looking for some type of evidence. Even if, you know, you like you mentioned, they're an investigator, you're an investigator, that doesn't matter. They're worrying about their family and their loved ones more so than they're worrying about you, who they've never had a connection to. I mean, I've watched so many different connections happen. I'll be talking to a friend and they'll mention to me, oh, I'd really love to connect with so-and-so, and then they'll go home. And then the connection begins. Or if somebody passes on, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. I wake up in the middle of the night and there's someone standing in my bedroom and I have no idea who they are, and I start getting information, and then the next day I, I hear through this person or that person that so-and-so lost someone by that name. They're going to the one person that's stuck in the middle, the medium, literally, to get a message over to the people that they care about. It's not They're not coming to me just because. They're coming to me because they know that they can get anything across to the people that they left behind. So they don't really care about the randoms. Yeah, and I, I think that it's better if we, uh, you know, just don't have that expectation. Well, I, I I'm trying to you. think of, I can't think of any incident um, in the paranormal history, so maybe you guys can, of someone coming back to make contact for a cause. You know, um, it's always, like you were saying, uh, Steph, it's always about um, the people in their lives and the loved ones and not necessarily something they believed. Well, we you know, I mean, like a, we've heard the stories of, you know, ghosts that come back for the purposes of warning others. Um, but, I mean, a lot of that kind of plays into the, the urban legend side of things. Right. right. Yeah, at the and, same time, it, it could play into personal connections, too, because we don't always know what the truth is behind those stories that we hear. Well, that's definitely something that I want to marinate on uh, and think about. Getting back to some of the other stories of the year, though, Stephanie Burke made her national television debut in 2015. Uh, of course, being in the commercial that aired during the national broadcast of the Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle documentary as it was pared down and aired on Destination America as America's Bridgewater Triangle and uh, America's Bermuda Triangle, I'm sorry. And, uh, and I have to say that, uh, you know, the reaction to that show has been fantastic because they keep airing it again and again. And each time, you know, you see more and more people showing an interest in it. And, uh, St Stephanie, you were there at the premiere party. Chris, you were there at the premiere party. It was awesome to see people getting together and celebrating the hard work of Manny and Aaron. It was a really good turnout. Like, standing room only, I didn't expect at all. There was nowhere to park. It was amazing. The support was awesome. And just having a nice group of people get together that all worked on the film together, um, out there supporting one another, but at the same time, the public was there, too. And I, I know the guys didn't expect that many people to show up because they actually booked a smaller venue. So it was really, really awesome. And we had a great time. And the pizza was good. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> Although it took a long time to get there. Well, yeah, you you traveled yeah. a little bit further than uh, than most people did, but uh, well, I meant the pizza took a long time. The pizza, oh, oh, oh. yeah, pizza for, that was forever. For yeah, the like pizza. The, to get it. The, I remember getting up there to do the Q and A, and I was told the pizza would be waiting when I came back down. And I think the yeah. I think the show is over by the time the pizza came out, or at least halfway over. Um, you and I didn't care though; we just kept eating it. Absolutely, and I would I would eat it again right now. 
if somebody brought it to me. <laughs> but uh, but I was I just thought it was great to see that, and it was great to see you, Stephanie, on national TV in advance of what might be a, a second impending national television appearance this year, which we'll have more details on later on. No. Uh, when it comes around, yeah, you have. We of course we're going to talk about it when it happens. Oh no! Okay. I think I'm going to go down in history as the most awkward person on television. I'm just throwing that out there now. Uh, they, they can fix that in post. Don't worry about it. Uh, hello, so. have you met me? <laughs> no, you, you, you come across right. very well, Chris, on, on television. Yeah. I just wish there was some way that, you know, they could CGI that, uh, that red and white shirt off of me. Because there's just too many uh, too many YouTube clips and now the, the documentary being on television of me wearing that same outfit because all that stuff was shot on one day. And I have a similar shirt to that, but I always never wear it anywhere when I'm doing anything that might be on television because I'm always afraid that people are going to be like, wait a minute, now Tim's getting Balzano's hand-me-down clothes too? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all part of my plan. It's like the paranormal male version of single white female. But uh, hilarious. But <laughs> the, the other thing uh, that I'd like to talk with to both of you about as well and – this kind of happened uh, a few months ago and was the buzz, the talk in the paranormal world, and that would be the Exorcism Live special on Destination America, speaking of that channel, which uh, you know put a real emphasis this year on paranormal programming. Uh, they even created a whole daytime paranormal block, uh, which reran a lot of episodes of The Haunting, but also gave you know new life to the show that I worked on, Ghost Talkers, when uh, a lot of people hadn't had the chance to see it. But this live Exorcism Live special, there was a lot of people that were railing against it before they even saw a single moment of what was planned, and in the end, really nothing happened. I oh. didn't watch it. You still haven't watched it? It was like months ago. You still haven't seen it? Oh, yeah. You won't watch we, that kind of stuff. That's right. We know I don't watch that kind of stuff. It's, it's a little scary. But I, I thought you it. would watch it just to see Chip Coffee in action. I did want to see Chip Coffee in action, but I feel like I can probably see him in a, a more uh, calmer, nicer environment, I suppose. I know he did the whole paranormal state thing or whatever he did. I don't know, some negative type of show. But maybe one day I'll see him. We'll see. But. Well, he was just here last week. We, we, we actually could have hung out with him, but we were too lazy to oh, actually like, I was waiting for you to ask. But, uh, well, I, then I was too lazy then to make it happen. So, Chip, yeah. I, I, owe, I owe Chip a dinner next time he comes out here then. But, uh, yeah, good. Chris, I mean, you've heard about this St. Louis house, the exorcism house, uh, for I'm sure for your entire paranormal career. Uh, it, and we saw it on Ghost Adventures in the past. But what did you think when you heard that they were going to try to conduct a live exorcism on air, not of a person, but of a house? I thought it sounded like a really bad idea. Um, I mean, there were just too many things. You know, there's the, the romanticized idea of what an exorcism is and the, um, you know, what the, the Hollywood version of it is. And there was no way that I thought that that's an effective way or even like a real thing. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I changed slightly with it based on kind of what you told me about what stuff that actually happened and what they were going for. Yeah, I, I do think that it was, um, I mean, again, I don't want to say too much because I know people that worked on the show, people that were involved in the development of the show, and, of course, I work with the Ghost Asylum crew. So I don't I don't want to come down too hard on it as being a 
ratings stunt, but it was a rating stunt. I mean, come on, we all know that that's what it was. The idea was to put some eyeballs in front of the television at Halloween time and promote the fact that Ghost Asylum is on. And uh, I know that Chip has some other television uh, possibilities that are coming up with the network as well. So, I mean, it was a, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It, it brought eyeballs to Destination America. And in that regard, I know they were very, very happy with the way that it turned out from an interest level and, a, you know, the talk about it on social media and all that, even though the house didn't deliver. Now, do you think it's possible, though, Chris, that if they had done an exorcism on television of a person, would that have changed the dynamic of the television show? Um, yeah, I mean, that... You know, it's, that's, it's not, it doesn't happen in 20 minutes. It doesn't happen in an hour, everyone that would tell you that. You know, and I think so much of it is about intention, so much of it is about the purity of the exorcist. Um, and we did actually an interesting show a little bit ago uh, about this where, you know, there was some disagreement between, I think, me and, um, and the Johnsons about this, about, you know, whether, uh, you know, every... Um, you know, uh, Malachi Martin's book talks about how the the exorcist doesn't do anything. You know that 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 they believe that uh, the forces are working for them and they are the conduit. And for them to think that they're doing it um, is leaves them open to attack. Um, and so it, I would find it really hard to, to with that kind of like as my belief system on this thing as well to have someone who may not be pure of heart and who may be have non uh, pure motives conducting an exorcism that sounds like something very dangerous and you know not okay and now we'll break <laughs> you know now we'll break for something i mean it seems like it's a long process and something that should only be done by people who are who are uh completely devoted and well studied and protected and so it would be scary to me to, to give into that i mean like, i would watch that i'd like to see it you know and i've seen there was that 1970s nbc special uh that that had an exorcism in it and you know, some clips still survive of that online. Uh, and, of course, uh, Keith and Carl Johnson, when they do their presentation, and Sandra, when they do their presentation on evil and on demonic entities, they do show clips from a, a, an actual exorcism they took part in. I'm fascinated by the idea of it, and I've had the opportunity, I've had the invitation to go and see one live, and I've turned it down just because I feel like you have to be you know, spiritually strong to deal with that, and I am not. So I've right. always turned it down, but I would be interested in being able to watch it through, you know, that that extra added layer of it only being on television. So maybe someday there will be something a little bit more in depth and real. Um, but I know that in the end, what we're watching is probably something that, you know, we're only putting ourselves at risk if it is a demon by watching it. And if it's not a demon and it's mental illness, we're really just watching somebody else's problems for our own entertainment. So, you know, it doesn't really sit well with me either way. Yeah, and we've got, you know, Bravo and E for that. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, um, and this, I guess, plays into the constant, uh, Constantino discussion a little bit. Like, I'm not sure how much, um, how much uh, exposure we should be giving people who are in um, peril. You know, and and things that can be genuinely um, impacting their lives in a very negative way, uh, into a crippling way. How much we should be benefiting from that, um, and how much we learn from that in a, in a non-controlled situation. I mean, we're really not talking about entertainment and looking for a ghost and being 
frightened by the thing that, that scares us and goes, ah, when, when something jumps out or that chill that you get when you hear an EVP or you see a streak through the screen. I mean, we're really talking about affliction. Um, and, and I'm not sure that we can appreciate that when we see it, and I'm not quite sure that we should be watching it. You know, like, it's kind of like um, people at their absolute worst. And I don't think there's a way to, to, to expose yourself to that consistently and not um, not have it taint you a little bit. And so to treat it as if it's just kind of something that can be processed and put on the screen, um, I think is a dangerous and and we saw this happen this year too, where where somebody's own problems can you know work their way into their paranormal work, or or at least work their way into the paranormal field. Stephanie, you were here with me uh, the night that we talked with Johnny Hauser, who works at the Veliska Axe Murder House, about the paranormal investigator that was there with his organization, with his group, and had decided to stab himself in the leg. And uh, and still to this day, we really haven't gotten the complete story of uh, what went on. But it seems like, at least it seems at the time, the story that we were hearing is that he might have been, you know, trying to offer himself up as a sacrifice. He might have been trying to do himself in in that location or what have you. But it, it just goes to show that sometimes people are in this field, and, and you know better than anybody, Stephanie, because you can kind of pick up these things from people, that sometimes they're not in the right frame of mind to be dealing with this type of a subject matter. No, I, I kind of feel like the paranormal almost lures in people with mental illnesses or um, I, I don't know why. I don't know why it's more common in this field, so to speak, as it is anywhere else. And maybe we just notice it more because we're dealing with different types of things. But um, it's it's definitely strange. I mean, we see inferiority complexes with people. We see, right. you know, a lot of the, the interpersonal dynamic issues. But generally, you know, the mental health side of things doesn't right. doesn't really come into play too much. Uh, Chris, I know that you've done a lot of research in this area, uh, especially around the Bridgewater Triangle area, about people's mental illnesses and, and afflictions. But you were looking at it more from the side of, uh, what we were researching more than who it was that was doing the researching. But you've also gotten to know a lot of the people that are in this field, and we call them characters, but in a way we're also kind of saying, that guy's kind of nuts. Right, right. And Ourselves and included, by the way. It seems to be the ones that are off kilter that seem to have the most staying power. <laughs> and so uh, there's a part of me that feels that being quirky and kind of like as my friends would say a little a little cray cray um actually helps to protect you a little bit it's the people who seem very serious about it that are the ones that tend to break down sometimes um but i think i think people who are off center are drawn to the field um but i do think that there's a big blur between mental health and uh paranormal and i think that 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 has swung several times like in the last 10 years over what exactly is the driving force. Like, what is the chicken and what is the egg? I don't think we can kind of, you know, we try to pair that out. But, you know, and, and the, you know, obviously the, the case of A is, a is an extreme example of that because, you know, that still is greatly unresolved. Was that demonic or, or was that uh, mental health? And we're, we're, you know, and we, and we know people and authorities that go on both sides of that. Um, so I think it's a really, really tough debate to have. Also, props to you for finding a way to avoid mentioning the word. 
Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and those of you who so are... Uh, listeners understand what I'm Yeah, talking. the long-time folks know exactly what we're referring to. Uh, Stephanie, you were going to ask Chris a question. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I was going to add to that, of, like, what I personally deal with, but now I'm afraid that I might mention a word that you're telling Chris. <laughs> he didn't. Um, you know what word we're talking about. Do I? You do. What, there, there's a certain place in New York, a certain town with a house associated with it that we can't discuss on oh, the okay, air because okay, things yes, go yes, wrong. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Nope. Not even going to go there. We're awesome. Um, I think what I deal with, or at least like what I do, um, like the mediumship aspect of things is a little bit different than the paranormal aspect of things. And in the mediumship world, or even like psychic or anything of that sort, I think I deal more with the mental health issues than you would on investigation, so to speak. Well, I mean, you've got to be a grief counselor as well as a medium, really. Oh, yeah. That's that's one whole aspect is um, I joked for the longest time about continuing my degree in getting my certificate in grief counseling because it's basically what I was doing. Um, so that way I could help people that weren't necessarily comfortable with connecting to the other side, but I was still doing the same type of work. Um, so that's one whole aspect. And the other whole aspect is I meet a lot of people who think that they can communicate with the other side, but it is a mental illness that is driving that force in a legitimate diagnosed mental illness or a lot of the time an addiction. So it's, it's very touchy. It's, um, mm. It's something that you really have to do a lot of research when you meet someone like that to make sure that there isn't anything behind it. Even um, I know a lot of uh, cases that I've helped on, I know um, a lot of investigators that I've worked with have to do a lot of research before they go into a house. And, I mean, just for example, um, Andrew Lake and I had, had worked on a case, and he spoke to this woman, I can't tell you how many times, um, before we went, because he always makes sure if he's going to ask me to drive an hour that it's worth the trip, um, that there's actual activity and it's not just someone pulling his leg, because that, you know, can happen. Um, we get out there, and she was completely blown out. There were pills all over the floor. Um, she was dealing with suicidal ideations and was drugging herself up and things like that. You can't see coming, and you really have to, you know, put yourself in the middle of it sometimes to see. So there are a lot of issues sometimes, and that was the grieving end of things, is she had lost someone that she was very close to and she was self-medicating, and um, it was her way of getting us out there, I suppose. But there's a lot of different angles that you could look at mental health and the paranormal or mediumship and, the par you know, everything all together, and it comes from all different sides and it's all different touches of this, 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 or that, and... Um, I think it affects all of us. I mean, Tim, I know we've talked about, you know, being on uh, the last time we went to Fort Tabor, you and I were affected differently than everybody else. And it's not so much a mental health, but it really, you know, messes with your conscience. Mm -hmm. Well, and Chris, you had mentioned, you know, the fact that some of the people who are in this that, that do seem a little off have stay, staying power. And I think that that's one of the things that we've seen happen, you know, over the last couple of years, not just in 2015, is the fact that we are playing up more of the individuals that are involved mm -hmm. in this and the individual experiences as opposed to, you know, just sending a team out to document activity in a certain house or a certain building. It's becoming more about the people and the stories they have. And, and everybody always says to me all the time, like, well, is everybody in the paranormal world 
crazy? Are they all nuts? Or is it that that's part of the, the way that you sell yourself? And I say, listen, you know, when Ancient Aliens first started filming, Giorgio Sicolis probably walked in, walked over to the makeup artist and the wardrobe person, and they looked at his hair and said, oh, we got to fix that. And then the director said, don't you dare touch that guy's hair. Because, you know, that's what you want. You want to focus on these individuals that help kind of sell the material, so to speak. And that's what makes that show famous. It's his hair. Absolutely. That's There's a whole internet meme about it. And yes. so when, when you're pushing that idea of the individual, that's actually good news for us. For a lot of people looking at that uh, as researchers, they're saying, oh, well, you know, this, this is a terrible movement that the TV shows are getting away from investigations and teams, and they're getting more into these stories of, you know, a haunting or uh, more of these paranormal witness type, you know, re, uh, recreation stories. But for you and I, Chris, for what we've been talking about over the last couple of years, this is great because this is part of that idea of getting back to the story, which, you know, right. honk, honk, toot the old, old, own horn here. We were able to do that this year twice with an evening of ghost stories in New England legends, setting the, stone, the, the tone once again for the paranormal world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was I involved in that? No, I was. So now, please tell um, me how awesome that we are. You, you I, jealousy, pure jealousy, and I, and I mean, I missed it by a few days because I was actually up there, uh, like right after that, and I was like, ah, oh, can't believe I missed it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the original point I was trying to make was that I think that the the quirkiness of those who are best in this field are a sign of a strong personality. And that strong personality is anyone's best defense against any kind of attack. Um, but I do agree with you that this, this, the story has kind of taken a uh, center stage more this year than it has in, in the years past. And that's interesting because it allows natural storytellers the opportunity to get stories across. Um, because there's only so many times that you can see, um, you know, you, you're forced to ratchet up uh, maybe potentially fabricate evidence if your if your your presentation is an evidence based thing, um, or to put um, undue importance on on one bit of evidence that you get over another. Um, but when you're talking about the story of it, you know there's a natural there's a natural artistic license to be able to um, bring out the most dramatic moments, and so it lends itself much more to kind of the appeal of the general audience who just kind of want to be. Uh, challenged, but also spooked and creeped out. So, I'm all for that movement, and I'm looking to do it. Uh, you know, here in, in sunny Florida, but no one will hire me. Well, you know, it's it's harder to find the venues, uh, you know, with without having the the good ghost stories attached to them. So you need to you need to have more haunted theaters like we have up around the, these parts. But uh, and of course, I thought that it was a lot of fun because I had to learn how to be a different type of of writer and presenter to be part of it. And it helped get me more jazzed about the paranormal. So as long as that's, you know, keeping me going, I'm sure it can help keep other investigators going, too. There's no reason to turn your back on that. We do have a call here. Let's take that pretty quickly here because we are about 10 minutes left in the show. Good morning. Uh Oh, I just cut Stephanie off, and I said good morning. So, Stephanie, you go ahead and call back in, and I will lock you in this time. Uh, And I will say to the caller, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Spooky South Coast. I'm happy... The anniversary. Oh, we're getting there. We're almost there. A couple weeks. Yes. Did you cut Stephanie off of me? I did accidentally. Yeah. I feel a little log, but that's all right. 
She's well, going to start sending you those psychic mind bullets. Damn, that's a good thing. Well, all I can say is congratulations on almost 10 years, guys. Well, thank I'm, you. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens when the website comes back on. Yeah. As far as the new year goes, I have to say, after being at Anawan Rock last night, I'm very excited to see what this year is going to bring. What happened last night? We were out there with a group, and uh, there was certainly some activity. Oh, oh, hold on. I'm going to try and put you locked in on hold here. Locked in here. Sure, 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 right. sure. Now I'll bring Stephanie in. Okay, now everybody's involved. And I'm going to lock her in as well. All right, we're all locked in. Uh, so you said there was definitely some activity happening last night at Anawan Rock. What kind of activity? Well, let's say that Anawan is definitely very persnickety about how who shows up there. And I think he definitely does not like certain people being there. And he definitely is a bully. Hmm. Well, I... I now I want to get out there more than ever. Which... It was definitely an interesting time, although I definitely felt the physical reaction. And I, I certainly believe that a couple of the people that I was with felt a certain... I, I don't... just say the physical reaction, especially around the throat chakra. I don't want to play these over the air uh, right now tonight because I think they need a little bit more work. And uh, with multiple people on the phone, it would be hard for everybody to hear and react. But over the course of the break, when I went out to go see Star Wars, I stopped by in Plymouth at Burial Hill, where a lot of the pilgrims are buried, and, and people who you know started helped to start the Plymouth settlement are buried. And I did a little bit of recording, and I think I got a couple results there. So uh, I really would be interested in, in maybe putting something together at some point. And maybe this is something we can do through Legend Trips or on our own, but really kind of do a paranormal tour of the early part of this area, from the time the Pilgrims landed up until King Philip's War. So uh, hopefully that's something that we can put together this year, and, and definitely looking forward to hearing more about Anawan Rock. We'll have to have you get a little bit more in-depth with us, uh, you know, when we talk to you in person, obviously. Absolutely. All right. I have about um, probably about a 45 minutes of uh, EVP reporting, recording that I haven't reviewed, but I used an old-school tape recorder to go out there, and we were there from probably about three and a half hours to determine whether or not anything was out there or not. All right, well, thank you very much for the call. We will definitely uh, be looking forward to hearing that, and feel free to send any clips along that you uh, that you come across. Absolutely. Right. Have a good night. You as well. Take it's care. Happy, happy New Year. Thanks. And uh, And... We do have, uh, oh, I gotta hold on, take you off there now. I can, yep. and now everybody else is still here. Okay, good. See, by the second decade, you know, by the time we're finished the second decade, I'll have the phones mastered. Uh, one other story that I do want to cover here, and I know this, this is, uh, this is definitely important to Chris and I, but one story that I want to cover here is the return and once again the departure of Art Bell from the airwaves, uh, things got really exciting a couple of months ago when the announcement came that Art Bell was finally coming back to the radio. His no-compete clause from his time with satellite radio had run out, and he could come back and he could broadcast over his own Dark Matter radio network, which uh, actually started a couple of years ago on the Internet and Spooky South Coast has been a part of. Art comes on. Uh, he came out of the gate with it just felt like the old Coast to Coast. It felt like the old Art Bell program 
where he and I don't know Chris how much you got to hear of it in, in the early days, but it was it was really just like what it was that we used to listen to. Yeah, I mean, in this you know winter for me, oddly enough, is my uh, Art Bell reminiscent time because that's when I first discovered him was uh, you know ninety seven. So you know a little bit late to the show, but not too late to experience a lot of it um, in the winter. Not having a job, so being able to stay up very late to listen to it, and while I was doing like this project to that project, mm-hmm. being totally blown away about it, and just the episodes that I was able to hear him on, I was like, wow, this is so refreshing. His voice, his approach, his demeanor—it um, was like it was like seeing an old friend. And then you know he does the show, and and things are going pretty well. I mean, I actually thought that he kind of was relying too much on the old guard of guests, and that there was a whole new, you know, whole new batch of people he could be talking to. I would have loved to have heard him interview, you know, Greg Newkirk. I would have loved to have heard him interview, you know, you uh, and and Jeff, and it just would have been fascinating to hear some of these people. Uh, you know, a John Tenney Art Bell discussion would have been awesome. But, you know, he seemed to go kind of going back to what he was comfortable with, which is fine. You know, it's his show, his conversations. Uh, but then everything starts to happen. You know, there's all these different incidents where, you know, storms took him off the air and then something else takes him off the air and something else. And and then, of course, the final uh, straw was when somebody actually shot at his house. And then he felt that his family was in danger, so he didn't want to continue the show anymore. And that's led to some... You know, some discussion and speculation about maybe he just decided that it wasn't worth doing anymore, and that's he was just looking for a reason to back off. But you know, the police reports have come out; people have posted them online. There have been actual reports filed that you know somebody decided that they didn't want to have this guy on the air. I don't want to speculate as to what that's all about, but you know, here we are again, just a few months later, with no more Art Bell on the air. Yeah, and you know, this is this is par for the course in terms of. This is part of his story. Um, are these mysterious disappearances from the air? Um, these kind of, uh, you know, can only happen to, to someone who, <laughs> who, like I said before, is staring into the darkness too much. A coincidence, made up, we don't know. But it's, but it's you know, if you follow the story, these kind of drops from the air are as much of the story as his actual guests and, and his actual um, contributions to the field. Well, it is field radio, not you know our field paranormal. Although that is you know obviously crossed over. I, the invitation is still out there for Art to come back and and, and well to come on this show and join us anytime. Uh, and you know when, when he was trying to promote Midnight in the Desert and get more terrestrial stations to pick it up, you know I tried to get him to come on. He had just started doing the show. He said that it was too much for him really Monday through Friday to then also stay up and talk for two hours on a Saturday. So, you know, hopefully now when he has a little bit of time, I want him to know, Art, any time that you would like to come and discuss anything, our airwaves are always open to you. And speaking of which, another paranormal show, uh, we'll just cover this real quickly, came back recently. Uh, Jason Hawes relaunched Beyond Reality as, a, as an Internet radio show. So for those of you who remember that show that he used to do, Jason and Grant used to have that a couple of years ago. That's back as well as of the last couple of months. Uh, and now I'm looking forward to 2016, guys. And in the final couple of moments that we have left, uh, some of the things that we can look forward to, the USS Salem is going somewhere. 
It's either going to be in East Boston, where we know that paranormal investigation can continue, or it may move to, to Battleship Cove in Fall River, which is the rumor, which may put a damper on any paranormal investigation happening there. Uh, but there's a lot more stuff coming down the pike, a lot of projects that we're all involved in, and, uh, and of course, the biggest story of all in the paranormal in 2016, more spooky South Coast, right? <laughs> more than ever. You know, like, I think the, the Red Sox have actually folded to us, and they're no longer having Saturday games at 7 o'clock. Listen, all I'm, all I'm saying is that if you finish in last place three out of four years, then we're automatically allowed to take over that time slot from you. Yeah, and I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, so... <laughs> well, I, I being a huge Sox fan, time. I can honestly say I would rather be on Spooky South Coast than the... And, and as a Sox fan, I'd rather have a 1 o'clock game on a Saturday, too. So there's also that. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, I want to say thank you to Stephanie and Chris for, for joining in via telephone tonight. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for coming back to us after the holiday break. We'll make sure we get all the podcasts uploaded and all up to date. And that'll be before we have another couple of week hiatus coming up for the NFL playoffs. Also, happy anniversary to Dave and Tim with Darkness Radio as well. They just celebrated their 10th anniversary uh, as well. So, you know, kudos to them. Uh, they've always been good friends and supporters of our show. And I can't wait to get out there and settle the score with Timmy D uh, the next time I can get out there and get him in the ring. So until next week, everybody, stay spooktacular.